want apple juice. Lucas wants apple juice. I know, I heard him can say I that. Can I have apple juice? Yeah, you can have apple juice. Can I have soda? Yes, you can have soda. Can I press that button? No, you can't press that button. Why? Because that's going to play the theme song. I'm not ready to start Click. the pot. What is up, guys? James Gutman here on iPod. I'm Dad. It is freezing, and it is January. It is 2022. It is the first podcast of the new year. Thank you for joining me here on iPodomDad.com. Maybe you found me there or on Amazon or on Spotify or on iHeartRadio or wherever you found me. Uh, do me a favor if you did, you know, smash that like button and subscribe and read and review and all the wonderful things they tell you to do on the internet. Do that for me as well. Spread the word. Thank you for your support. Uh, yeah, it's a new year. 2022. Fresh start, fresh beginnings, fresh times. Feels like the future. It genuinely feels like the future. I always talk about being a kid. Everyone always used to say the year 2000 as if that was the future. And then that came and went. And then I guess the next one was like 2020. You know, that was the big one. Everyone kept saying 2020. 2022. This is almost beyond futuristic things. It's so futuristic that I read that this is the year that George Jetson is supposedly born. You guys know George Jetson? You know, a little, little spaceship. His wife takes his wallet because she's an awful human being. Um, yeah, 2022, George Jetson was born. So happy birthday, George Jetson, if you're out there. Um, this is your year. It's crazy. It's crazy. It definitely feels like a futuristic world. I don't know what the new futuristic dates are and it was 2050 or what exactly the future generations are gonna be going through i remember telling my daughter when she was a baby she had a a great grandmother who was still alive she died at 99 years old and i remember telling my daughter at one point that if she lived to be as old as her great grandmother her birthday would be you know in after the year 2100 which was insane to me to say out loud i'm like what how I don't know. It's crazy. It's really, yeah. So the older you get, the crazier it is. This is a definite want to feel old moment. I got different, a different thing for that when that segment comes along. But yeah, definitely 2022 by itself just makes you feel old. And I feel old doing that. How do I stay young? I stay young by uh, writing, sharing, talking. And that's what I did on highblogomdad.com. I also stay young by doing segues, and that was a segue to this week's blogs. I do it on Monday. I do it on Wednesday. Every Monday, every Wednesday, I'm actually closing in on the five-year anniversary of High Blog I'm Dad. We began back in February of 2017, so it's exciting. It's about a month away from uh, this milestone, meaningless milestone, perhaps. I don't know, however you want to view it, but I love doing it. I've never missed a Monday, never missed a Wednesday, so it means a lot to me to get a chance to write for you guys and put this stuff out there. Uh, last Monday, I wrote one that had been kind of on my mind for a while, and it was called When My Child with Autism Has Trouble Transitioning, and this was one that struck a chord with a lot of people, as it was about a subject that affects so many parents and so many children with special needs, whether it's autism, whether it's um, any sort of you know challenges in their lives, and what makes it interesting for me, it's one of those things that's a huge issue in your life until it's not 
and then you almost forget that it existed. Case in point, running. My son used to be a runner when he was little, you know, four or five, six years old. In fact, one of the first blogs I ever wrote was about him running, um, called The Running Fear. That was the name of it. I couldn't remember the name of it. And it was about my worry about him running because he would love to run. And I would take him to the schoolyard, just let him run, go for it. But there was always that concern that if we went out, he would run away or he'd want to like, you know, do his thing. He doesn't do it anymore. And the fact that he doesn't do it anymore and hasn't done it for a few years now, I don't even think about it. It's like gone out of my head. Transitions are kind of the same thing. For a long time, transitions were an issue for him. And I would have the teachers would come back to me and they'd say, oh, we had some problems with transitions. He would not want to go somewhere. He'd say, okay, we have to go to the other room. And he would lay on the floor, cry, not want to go. He'd hold his hand. He'd be pulling you back. Wouldn't want to go do the next thing. And it could be anything. It could be going from one room to the next. It could be going from one activity to the next. It could be going from one you know, house to the next. Halloween was always difficult because of it. You try to get him to walk up to a house. And as soon as you start walking up the path, he would have a little a little fit over it and you feel bad. And you don't want to like drag somebody trick-or-treating. Come on, this is fun. Let's go. And that's, that's awful. You feel terrible. So you don't do that. But this was an issue for years, transitions. Be, well, we're working on it. And then one day he kind of stopped doing it. He still does it once in a while, right? Like, so we'll be in the car and I've talked about this before where, you know, we stop the car, we go to get out of the car and go into uh, a bowling alley, uh, you know, a farm or whatever. A farm, I'm on Long Island. So you go to these these little side farms and you walk around and you see goats or, you know, Christmas decorations, all these fun things to do. But if you get out of the car and you try to get him to go from the car to the place, sometimes he'll get upset. He's gotten better with all those things. Now, because of that, I forgot that this existed. I forgot that this was an issue. And I started picking him up from school to problems, right? It had always been nice to get him from school. I would pick him up. I would see him. He would never, he's not the kind of kid that runs over like, yeah, you know, cheering and jumping up and down, but he'll walk over and put his head on my shoulder. I'll give him a hug, give him a kiss on the head. It's always like a sweet thing. But in November, he started flipping out. I would pick up him at school. He would come outside with the AIDS and he would see me and he would lose his mind, start crying, trying to go back into the building. And I'm like, what? the hell is going on? Um, and I walk over, what's the matter, buddy? What's the matter? He's upset and he's swinging his arms and they're looking at me like, what did you do? What are you doing with this kid? Like I beat him up or something. You know, they know I don't beat him up, but I'm saying I, I felt that way. And as a parent, I think a lot of us deal with that. If your kid is melting down, if your kid has autism, if your kid's nonverbal and you're out in public and some sort of negative reaction happens, your immediate concern is that everyone's looking at you like you're doing something wrong. And here we are, full display of all the parents. Some of the, the kids have special needs, some don't. I'm standing out there and my son, who's this big kid, is, is having a fit when he sees me every day. Every day I would go to get him and he would do this. And I'm like, this is it. To the point where like, like I dropped an F-bomb in front of his teachers. I went to go get him. I walked over. I'm like, dude, what the f-? And I said it and they kind of looked at me. I'm like, sorry. Like, whatever. Um, he's nonverbal. So I do tend to curse around my son a lot because I figure if he says that word, we're going to have a party, you know? If my son were to be like, you know, what the F are you doing? I'd be like, yay, call everybody on the phone. He said, what the F are you doing? So we're totally cool with it. We can curse around him. But it was hell. It was hell getting this kid from school. And I thought he hated me. And now I'm going through my head trying to figure out all the reasons for it. I didn't go into great detail into the blog because I only have so many words, but I could tell you guys a little bit more. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, does he not like, not like my house? Does he not like the fact that, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, limit what he eats or I limit what he does or I try to make him, you know, do life skills and all these different things. I'm trying to figure it out. What is it that's causing him to act this way? I had no idea what it was. 
So I decided one day, I said, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I told the, the teacher, I said, I'm going to pick him up 20 minutes early from school. I'll pick him up in the lobby and we'll see what happens. So I went last day before the break and I picked him up 20 minutes early and he walked down the hallway and he saw me. No problem. Now keep in mind too also, because I know somebody had brought this up. This was brought up by one of the readers, Julie Ken Auten, who actually pointed out instead of you try taking his tablet with you and you get him. And that is something that I did think of. I love when you guys give suggestions because sometimes it'll be something um, that I forgot to mention or something I even forgot to do. Uh, in this case, it's something that I did do. I forgot to mention it. I did bring the tablet on day two and I held it up when he saw me and he still cried, came over angry, snatched out of my hand. He's crying and playing. I'm like, what is happening with this kid? So, you know, he'll always want a tablet, but he'll, he did it very miserably and it was not a good situation. So I couldn't figure it out. So I get him that day early. He shows up a little whiny, not really. He walked over. I gave him a hug. I'm like, oh, great. And the aide is like, oh, sweet. And we walk outside the building through the double doors and we get right to the point where you're going from under the awning into the parking lot to go to the car. And he starts doing to me what he was doing to his teachers beforehand when he would see me. He's pulling me back into the building. He's crying. He's flailing around. So I look over his hand. I go, what? What do you want to do? What? What? And now he's by himself and no one's holding him and he's crying and he stops and he looks to the left, looks to the right. He starts walking this way, walking that way. And he's all confused and he just starts crying. And I put my arm around. I'm like, dude, come on. What are you doing? What's the matter? We walked to the car and he was fine. Now, I should also mention too that every single one of these times, he was fine by the time we got back to the car. Like It's like a 10-second walk. He was fantastic. He'd start like, we're giggling. I'm like, dude, what do you do? You got to cry in front of all the parents that you're giggling with me. And then he's so sweet that you don't want to get, you know, uh, worked up over it. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, what the deal is. Christmas break now happens, right? So now we're over the break. And it's the first day that I have to get the kids on the, you know, we, we switch off my ex-wife and I on the days that we have the children. So I usually get them from school. A lot of our, our switch offs happen when I go and I pick them up from school in the middle of the week and then she'll get them, you know, when she's supposed to get them. I had to go to her house to get him. And I started getting anxiety before I got I'm like, this kid freaks out and doesn't want to come with me. It's going to be so miserable. Oh man. And all these times I kept thinking to myself, I really hope it's not me. I really hope it's not me. And I went to her house and I picked him up and he saw me and he smiled and I gave him a hug and he gave me a hug and he got in the car and he sat there quietly. He was perfect. And I'm like, there is something up with this school. And I hadn't really thought about what it was until I had his parent teacher conference where they mentioned transitions again. And they said, he's been doing very well. He's doing good with, you know, um, his participation and he's doing good with his life skills. His transitions have gotten good. And as soon as they said transitions, I was like, oh my God, transition. <laughs> I forgot that was a thing. It's a thing. Transitions are a thing. And it was something that always affected him. And that's something that I kind of pushed out of my head. And it's surprising because a lot of people who aren't affected by it don't understand it. They don't even know that this is a situation where kids you know, like my son, have an issue sometimes going from one place to the next for whatever reason. They could even like the place that they're going to. There are times where I'm dragging him into like, you know, McDonald's, like, you like this place, come on. And by the time we get in there, he's smiling, he's laughing, and I'm sitting there, and I've had many a situation, whether it was at a birthday party or a restaurant or like a jumpy place where we're inside the place, and he's laughing and giggling and jumping around, and I am 
drained physically, emotionally. I look like hungover. I'm like, dude, why did we have to go through hell to get you in this building? And that's how it is. And then he'll do the same thing on the way out too. And you're like, dude, get in the car. <laughs> Let's go. So I want to write about it because I forgot about it. But yeah, transitions are a thing. It's a major thing um, for my son. And I guess it's always going to be a thing for him, something that we're always going to have to work our way around. And I've seen it affect him in all these different ways. I think I've talked about, we'll be in the car and he'll be staring out the window and I'll make a turn. You know, I mean, literally we're going down, you know, the highway and I'll make a right turn down a side street and he'll start crying as if I took something from him. And I've talked to the aides and talked to the teachers and talked to the professionals trying to figure out what it could be. There are theories, you know, maybe he's looking at, you know, the scenery outside and when you turn, you kind of break his view. I don't know, but there's definitely um, something to keep an eye on. So yeah, the good news is that he's gotten better with it. I've been picking him up early from school. He's been getting better with the pickups. Uh, yesterday was the first time that I picked him up that when we walked outside the front door, he didn't have a fit. Uh, he had a mini, mini little whine. He's like, eh. I'm like, no, come on. Held his hand a little tighter. Still not ready to pick him up at regular time yet, but it will be soon. And when it is, hopefully he'll be able to adjust and handle it well. But yeah, transitions, they'll get you every time. On Wednesday, I pivoted a bit. I transitioned, if you will, to a different subject where I talked a little bit about mental health, something that I like to talk about every once in a while, because I feel like it's something that um, the more we share our own personal stories of mental health in a way that, I don't know, and I, I, I hesitate to say it like this because I don't want to seem like I'm being critical of other people and how they share things. I I don't really wear it on my sleeve. You know, I don't. I don't talk about it all the time. I read something today. Somebody had written this and, and it, I don't know, it, it, I'll say it bothered me a little bit. Uh, I was on Twitter and somebody had posted and somebody about being bipolar and the guy said that, you know, uh, a friend of mine said that he always loved my personality and I said, thanks, it's a disorder. And I thought, well, that's a good way to push people away. Like <laughs> you got a compliment and you turn it around into this awkward conversation. So I like to talk about mental health. I like to talk about the fact that I'm bipolar, but I like to do it in a way that doesn't make anyone else feel awkward. I like to do it in a way that doesn't, I don't know, uh, dismiss the positive things about me. I don't think my personality is entirely defined by my bipolar. Now, keep in mind, I don't know who this person is on Twitter, which is another example. I should know who these people are. But maybe his personality is defined by being bipolar. Maybe some people are like that. I don't feel that I am. I feel like there's things about me that are affected by the fact that I, I feel things strongly and all this other stuff. And that's why I think sometimes it's important for me to talk about it because I think a lot of how people view a person with you know bipolar or even a mental illness, which always sounds weird when I say that out loud too, I think differs from me. I'm, I'm kind of a different different cat, if you will. For me, and I talk about it in the, in the blog, uh, bipolar has always been about uh, this heightened sense of emotion. I feel things deeply. Something will happen. I'll I'll get a bill. I'll have, you know, money out of my account that I wasn't expecting to come out, right? And I open my bank account and, you know, I have money in savings, got money in checking and my checking account and it drops because there's a bill that I wasn't expecting. And then all of a sudden now in my head, I'm obsessing about this and I'm thinking about it. And I'm beating myself up. Why didn't you know it was coming out? What are you going to do? Da, da, da. Even if I have enough money, I'm still like, well, you're not going to have enough money next week. Maybe the week after you'll run out of money. What are you going to do? A little voice in my head that does that to me. Um, sometimes it's, it's history. It's remembering something. It's something from my childhood. And I had a really bad childhood. I don't talk about it that much because 
honestly, and, and it's, it's going to go back to also my divorce as well, another thing that I don't really talk about, because I like to try to find ways of framing my life experience in a way where I talk about how it affects me. A story about my divorce, a story about growing up, there's other people involved in these stories. So I don't want to tell you these tales and tell somebody else's you know, motivations or somebody else's um, actions. Sometimes it's kind of weird to do that. So I don't talk about them as much. But that doesn't mean that they weren't major factors in my life. In fact, they probably are the biggest factors in my life. Uh, my childhood and some of the memories that I have from there and, you know, under the train. And you guys know I've talked about these things on these podcasts before. If you haven't, I, I have a, there's an old edition. I think it was like 10 facts about me that you don't know. And uh, that was one of my favorite ones. I got to tell you guys some stories about some of the trauma I went through. And I, I did go through a lot of trauma. Uh, you know, I did a podcast. I talk about falling under a train when I was eight years old. And it was one of those above ground trains. So I remember falling. I remember uh, thinking I was going to die at eight years old. I'm like, I'm just going to die. I looked down. I could see the ground far below me. I broke my arm. Um, I remember thinking when I fell, I was with an adult who was holding my hand, uh, I guess until, you know, they weren't anymore. And um, I remember thinking when I was under there that I would just stand up. I'll just push off of that thing and I'll stand up and, and I'll be able to get out. And I didn't. I don't know why I didn't do it. But when I got out, the conductor was like, you're lucky that this kid didn't you know, touch that rail, he would have, you know, been electrocuted immediately. And I was like, holy, the train was there. Like when I say I fell under a train, I just fall on the tracks. I mean, I fell under the train while the train was in the station. That's dramatic. So all these different things, that's just part of a bigger picture. So I don't know, I get off on these tangents, but when it comes to the things that affect me, I have a lot of stuff to draw on. Right, so it could be one of those things where all of a sudden I'm I'm driving and I remember something or I think of something or I think of something I said. You know, I've had a lot of friends pass away. You know, I'm in my fraternity, uh, shockingly, which you know through the years, a lot of people passed away. I had a friend of mine passed away recently that uh, that was in my fraternity. But when I was in, you get a little brother and you get a big brother when you're pledging. You get somebody who's a big brother, supposed to be the one who helps you through pledging. The only brother who isn't the one who kind of like hazes you and stuff. It's supposed to be like the good guy. Uh, and then when you get in, you get a little brother who you do the same thing. When they pledge, you take care of them and you buy them things. They make you, you know, uh, paddles and you buy them shirts with the letters on it. And, you know, since 2016, uh, my big brother and my little brother both have died. Um, one of cancer, one of I don't know what. Uh, both of them at like 40 years old. So that sticks with you. My friend Chris died. All, all these different deaths that I've dealt with too. And that affects me, man. My favorite TV show is Six Feet Under. And I love that show because a lot of how that show portrays the trauma that we experience after death, to me, is true. I I see, I don't see these people. I don't want you guys to start freaking out. But um, I can hear the opinions, especially my friend Chris, when people do and say things sometimes. I could imagine him almost involuntarily where I could see him in the room. Somebody will be saying something to me. They'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. And I see him behind them laughing. Like, <laughs> you believe this? Do you believe this guy? And I kind of like look over and it's, it's comforting. It's nice, but it affects me because now, whereas sometimes some people can just brush off these moments. I have this memory of, of, a, of a dead friend shouting at me things that my subconscious is just telling me, you know, and that's rough. Sometimes it's nothing. 
And I gave the example about Target in the blog post where sometimes I'll just be walking through Target. And I use Target as an example because I remember a specific instance where this happened at Target, but it's happened at other places where I'm just walking around with the cart and then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, I'm just bummed out. And I'm shaking my head in disappointment and I don't even know why. There's no reason for it. It's just kind of this feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. And what's the point? You know, this romanticized feeling of, you know, what, how it would be nice to not be here anymore. And it's weird to say that. It's weird to feel that. Um, and it's been a theme in my life. It's something that I've worked my way through. I don't take medication. I don't have really manic episodes. I look back on my life. And one of the things about being bipolar one, uh, which I am, People say that's the fun one. Uh, bipolar one is um, it's depression with manic highs mixed in. And you can have one manic episode in your entire life and be considered BP1. Um, and I've had a few. Luckily, as I've gotten older, I've learned to make my manic episodes good. They're positive. They're you know working extra hard or doing extra things. One of the reasons why... I consistently put out work for you guys is because I'm bipolar. I don't, and maybe this is a mistake. And I think in the new year, I should really definitely look, look into trying, trying to make some money off of the podcast and the blog, but I don't make any money on the blog. I don't make any money on the podcast. I do these things for love. I do these things to kind of get my name out there and to find other work uh, in addition to it. But I do this just because I need to do it. I feel this need to uh, to produce content, to produce work, it makes me feel good. And in many ways, this is my manic outlet, you know. But I've had negative ones. When I was younger, I had some negative ones. I look back on my college days and I was I was all over the place. I mean, I was a cartoon character, running around, you know, playing a gimmick. So good, it was nuts, nutty stuff. And I look back on that time and I remember feeling different. And I remember doing risky things, risky behavior, uh, going out, partying, quote unquote, meeting different people, so to speak. <laughs> you know, all of these tongue-in-cheek statements. I've, I, lived, um, I lived a full life. I lived uh, a lot of wild moments. And I remember when I was diagnosed BP, because what happens is they give you this test. Now, I had been told, I'll give you guys all my info, man. When I, before I got diagnosed, I had gone to my therapist who pretty much had diagnosed me as having PTSD um, and depression. He thinks, he goes, maybe you could be bipolar. I'm going to send you to the, uh, it was like a psychiatrist, I guess, to get checked out. And it wasn't what I expected. I've never been to a psychiatrist. This is the only time we didn't lay on a couch. You know, I sat in a chair. I sat across from this guy, heavy Indian accent. Very, here's what really got me about it too, was he was very, um, no nonsense, you know? One of these like tough guys that you, I can't imagine like having a, a hangout conversation. So I went in, my therapist was like, you're going to be there like 10 minutes. He'll see you. He'll probably send you back out and tell you there's nothing wrong. I'm like, right. And I sat with this dude for like over an hour and he had a little piece of paper and he was writing down notes about what I was saying. And he wrote so small on this little paper and he filled it up and he turned it over and he started writing notes. And by the end of it, the entire thing, you couldn't see any paper anymore. It's all little words on it. And I remember at one point he turns to me and he goes, um, he's like, all these things are true? All these things you're telling me? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you've never seen a, uh, a psychiatrist about any of these things? And I went, no. And he made this face like, mm. <laughs> like he tilted his mouth and he made the eyes like, mm. and I went, 
what's that, man? What's that face? That's not a good face. What's that face about? And he just ignored me and kept writing. Uh, he was the one who diagnosed me. It was like a checklist of things I had to do uh, to say whether or not um, I was bipolar. They came back and that's when they told me that I was. But one of the things was, did you ever have a time where you didn't sleep for I think more than like 24 hours or whatever? And I did in college. There was a one time period where I was awake for five days and I just couldn't sleep. I remember it was, um, you know, my... My family had gone away. Um, I had a sibling that I was watching. I remember Patrick, my little brother in the fraternity, passed away. He was over. We were hanging out. We we're back on, you know, AOL Instant Messenger and, you know, playing, you know, PlayStation 1. And I remember the first night I didn't sleep, but that was fine. That was normal. There were plenty of times where I wouldn't sleep overnight. The next night came and I was just up all night on the computer again. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Day three came and I'm like, I should really go to sleep. It happened again. Uh, and I remember by the end, I was like, I guess I'm broken. I guess I'm never going to sleep again. And it was, you know, I, I was eating very little. Even now, I don't, I don't eat as much as I should. People give me a hard time, which is great. It makes me know that people care about me. But um, it's hard. I forget to eat, you know, and I catch those moments. And I, I could sense my triggers. And that was the point of this blog post of telling you guys about some of the things that I keep an eye out for when it comes to my struggles, you know, but right now in this moment that I was writing that I was okay. I feel okay. I feel good. It was a rough year. If you guys know you rewind the clock, you go back to my blog posts in, in February, March, April, they were so negative that I was hearing from people like, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, what does that mean? And I've had that happen in my life before too, where people have asked me if I'm okay and I would get offended. And even now when I can look back on those moments and go, that person cared about me, that person was reaching out to me. In that moment, I will get offended by it. I'll get upset. What is that supposed to mean? Yeah, I'm fine. Fine, thanks. Cool, you all right? You okay? All right, cool, thank you. And then I feel bad about that. I feel bad that I, you know, another part of the whole bipolar thing. Um. I will chastise myself for stupid stuff. You know, I'll break something. And I'm I'm picking it up and I'm cleaning and I'm like, I'm like, nice job, idiot. Way to go. Way to go. I'm a moron picking this thing. Like I wouldn't want to not break something today, right, Jackass? What are you doing? And then as I'm cursing myself out in my head, I go, I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm cursing. Can I, why do I do this? What is wrong with you? What are you, what are you crazy? Something wrong with you, man. Isn't that cursing at yourself? You're such an idiot. And I'm like, I'm doing it again. And that's the cycle. And you go around in a circle and a circle and a circle. And I deal with that too. Positive thing here is that right now I feel good. The fact that I feel good now shows me that all of those down times have ended, which is something that now I try to keep in mind when I do go through those depressing moments. And I didn't have a major depressing you know, holiday season this year. Uh, the holidays were good. I was happy. I had a fun time. I had great people around me. We did a lot of fun stuff. It was wonderful. This is the first year where Christmas was not you know, a kick in the face uh, for a variety of reasons. So it felt really good to be able to do that. So when I talk about depressing moments, I mean, even like a day, um, you know, a week, whatever it is, however long these little depressing kind of sprints last, they've all ended because right now I feel okay. And now I'm remembering that. And I'm learning, as I wrote in the blog post, to be okay with not being okay. I'm learning that, you know, I go through these moments. It doesn't mean I'm broken. It doesn't mean I'm never going to get better. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be sad or miserable or angry forever. Um, it's just who I am. That's what I have to work my way through. Uh, and it's important. 
So hopefully I share this stuff with you guys. You guys can, if you're going through something similar, you get it. You don't have to have bipolar disorder to, to feel this way. You know, I've heard from, we had, you know, readers, Amanda Shreve, who's done, you know, the moment of sanity. Uh, one of the first ones who did the moment of sanity, she pointed out that she relates to it um, without being bipolar. And that's a possibility too, because we all go through these moments. For some of us, it is just, you know, uh, some of us have seasonal depression. Some of us have depression. Some of us just get down once in a while. Um, and it's easy to get caught up in that loop. And I'm not getting caught up in the loop anymore. I feel good. I'm happy. And I'm learning to, you know, address myself as a person who's, you know, dealing with the world around him, but at the same time, I'm not broken. Uh, something that I used to think I was, I'm not, you know, flawed, uh, I'm not a failure, all these different things that I would tell myself. I'm learning that I'm not those things. And it's, uh, it's important to remember it. So hopefully if you read this blog post on Wednesday, you got a lot out of it again. Hi, blog, I'm dad.com. Uh, when my child with autism has trouble transitioning, that was Monday. And on Wednesday was being okay with not being okay. And I do want to point out too, there are pictures that I use in these blogs. I take all of them. All of them are my own shots. And I love the ones on Wednesday, I have two sky pictures in there. Something you guys might not know about me, I take pictures of the sky all the time. I love it. I remember the first time like, I, I really noticed it. It was, um, not the first time, but it was especially after moving into my new house. When you, when you come out uh, of where I live, there's this huge view of the sky. And I always hated that the sky is usually so obstructed by uh, telephone wires. It drives me nuts. I wish we didn't have them. I think it's it's the biggest problem honestly one of the biggest problems which nobody ever talks about uh we should have these telephone wires underground because they block the sky and it's beautiful if you really get a good view of the sky at almost any time it doesn't have to be this purple um you know it's pinkish that i did and, and orange skies that i have and both of them are not filtered the colors of the sky in those pictures were exactly what it looked like out here on long island um but throughout the day at any time and clouds and the blue i always you know i'll, I'll tell my daughter will be driving and I'll be like, look, look at the sky. I'm like, if that was a screensaver, people pay money for that picture. I'm like, it's right above you. It's above you all the time. So whenever I really don't feel so great, I try to look up nine times out of 10, the sky looks beautiful. That's why I included the pictures. It's kind of serenity for me. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. I love taking pictures of the sky. That said, let's jump from here to something that I don't know keep us positive maybe have a little giggle at our own expense a little segment we like to call you want to feel old i don't think a lot of people are believing that you're making millions of dollars at nine if they don't believe that then i don't really like care all right let's feel old i'm going to tell you the most unexpected old feeling i had this week i love youtube I don't know why. I think one of the things I like about YouTube is it's almost like a, the flea market of media. You have the opportunity to find anything. Like, you know, so you go on there, you can find these little clips of like Super Mario's Lost Levels. Watch that yesterday. Um, there's a woman, uh, it's called, I think it's called Up and Atom, where she talks about all these paradoxes and, and physics. I'm kind of a dork with that stuff too. So I was watching those and, you know, watch things about outer space. And I feel like you can learn anything on YouTube. Everything's available. There's a lot of, you know, really good, uh, historical documentaries, total dork stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of old Opie and Anthony shows that I listen to all the time. Love YouTube. I found a recommendation to me. And as I'm going through the recommendation, this guy had a video that said, uh, whatever happened to Ninja? 
Now, you might not know who Ninja is. I barely know who Ninja is. 2018, 19, I was watching The Masked Singer with my daughter. We had tried this show. I never ended up sticking with it, really, but we watched a few episodes. And on The Masked Singer, one of the celebrities revealed himself to be a kid. I had no idea who he was. This guy with all his different color hair. And they go, it's Ninja. And I'm like, I don't know who the hell is Ninja. Everyone's cheering. And my daughter's like, Ninja. I'm like, who the hell is Ninja? He didn't look like a ninja. He was just like a, a, you know, I don't know, emo kid. I don't know. He was like, you know, multicolored hair or whatever. He's a, a streamer, a video game player on the internet, which is a famous thing now. If you play video games on the internet, you become rich for it. Bat shit insane. I don't know how that's a thing. I'm shocked by it. I come from the generation where somebody goes, what do you do for your living? I play video games on the internet. And then there's supposed to be like a laugh track over it. Not anymore. Now it's just, you know, oh, you must be a billionaire. Uh, and he, this kid was loaded with money. So Ninja. I forgot he existed since that uh, episode that we saw. So I got this video, whatever happened on Ninja. So I watched the video and they're talking about the downfall of this streamer. And I'm like, oh, cool. This is really cool. What else does this guy have that they, that I can watch? And I found another one that I knew. It was whatever happened to Epic Mealtime, right? Epic Mealtime was a YouTube video um, about these guys that would make these big gross meals. They'd be like, we're going to make the, the Baconator, you know, giant candy bar. And they make like a 25 pound candy bar made out of bacon and butter. And it's supposed to be like really fatty. And then they eat it. And it's, it was really gross. And I forgot that that one existed too. I'm like, oh, this is cool. What else do they have? The guy literally has like a hundred videos. I only knew these two people out of all the hundred videos. He's talking about people I've never heard. Of. Whatever happened to Lispy Jimmy? Whatever happened to Little Tom? I'm like, what the hell? Who are these people? So there was one, um, and it said the downfall of Lil Tay. Right? I'm like Lil Tay. Put it on. He starts talking about this girl years ago who started a YouTube video um, where she was, I think, nine years old. But she's talked as if she was like a 30-year-old rabbit. She's like, yo, what's up, man? I got money. I got mad bills. Check it out. Check it out. I used to be poor back when I was seven, but now I'm nine. Little white girl, right? She's throwing money down. She's like, check it out. Check it out, yo. Check it out. I'm like, and I'm watching this ridiculous thing. And he's talking about how famous this girl is. She's famous. And I'm watching this graph, graphing like how famous she was. She was with Logan Paul, somebody I barely know too. Is another famous one. I know him because he went into the, the forest and, and filmed you know, a suicide victim uh, and had to apologize. And he does wrestling stuff every once in a while and uh, quote unquote legitimate boxing exhibitions. I don't know him from his videos really. I've never really watched him, but he's famous. And he has little Tay come to his mansion. She's like, yeah, check it out. I got a mansion. It's better than this mansion. And I'm like, this is insane. And as I'm watching the video, and I'm learning that she's super famous for years. I'm telling myself, all right, you know what? It's fine. There's an alternate, you know, pop culture reality. I live, I live in the, you know, in the old media. I watch television. I, I know, you know, the TV shows and things like that. I don't, I don't really know the YouTubers. That's fine. She's not really that famous. She's famous with these people. And in the middle of the video, they go to a clip of Lil Tay being interviewed on Good Morning America. She's sitting there on Good Morning America, and the woman's like, like so uh, how do you feel about your fame? She's like, yeah, check it out. Yo, I got a fame. You know, it's down. And I'm like, what the hell? And then I realize, yeah, no, she's famous. I'm just old. And that's, <laughs> that's it. I don't know who are these people. I've gotten to the point now where like celebrities, I don't know who they are anymore, right? When I was younger, I remember growing up, she'd turn around, you'd be like, 
you know, you mentioned, you know, Madonna. Who's Madonna? And you'd be like, how do you not know who Madonna is? Oh, my God, you're not cool with Skid Row. You don't know Skid Row. Um, and you'd be shocked. But now I don't know who half these effing people are. You go, they're like performing at the Grammys. And then he, they name like 15, 20 people. And I'm like, I know Avril Lavigne. That's the only name that they mentioned that I know. And I barely know Avril Lavigne. It's shocking. I remember speaking of Avril Lavigne, there was, um, I was on the car one day. And the host goes, oh, the rumors are true. Avril Lavigne and, and I don't remember the name, Bob Smith. Let's say Bob Smith. Avril Lavigne and Bob Smith are officially, and they paused, almost like a little drum roll. And I thought to myself, he could literally say anything after that, and it would be fine. It's like Schrodinger's cat. Like No matter what he said, he could have said married, divorced, siblings, opening a restaurant, whatever he said, I would have been like, oh, that's it. I have no idea. I don't remember what he ended up saying, but out of the loop, man. I'm out of the loop. I'm adult contemporary. Uh, the artists that I know are from a long time ago. Things that I think are new because they came after my time or now old. You know, you run into a kid today, I'd be like, I know my chemical romance. Like that was like 10 years ago. I'm like, really? Panic at the disco? No idea. Uh, so yeah, you want to feel old? Watch some of these videos. <laughs> Learn about YouTubers. That makes me feel old. Hopefully that makes you feel old too. And we can be old together. Yay. Old buddies. Give it up, George Jetson. You need some sanity. Hi, Pod. This is your moment of sanity. This week's moment of sanity is a bit of foreshadowing, uh, and it's because there is going to be something in addition to this that um, in a few weeks, a few months, I might have some pretty cool news. Actually, I have a lot of cool news this year. Uh, I had some things change around a little bit at the end of last year, some announcements I was going to make that have been put on hold for even better announcements in the long run. Uh, this one is not that announcement, but it's something cool that is eventually going to happen. But let me foreshadow it for you with this. This week's Moment of Sanity is about your resume of life, uh, the idea of accomplishing things and doing things in your lifetime that aren't necessarily for work and they're not necessarily, you know, family related. They're just cool things that you can tell people like you know, climbing, climbing Mount Everest, which I never did. I always kind of wanted to in my head. It was one of those things like that. And I've had some cool life resume moments. Um, my favorite one was the White House memo. I know I, I talked about this on a past one. I'll give it to you guys again quick. Um, 2006, my first book was called World Wrestling Insanity. It was about WWE. It was about the McMahon family. It was about the insanity of this business. It was a different time for me. Totally different person wrote this thing. I still feel a lot of the things I wrote in it. Uh, a lot of the things that people pushed back against me for back then have kind of come to fruition in terms of how this company treats people and the way they act and the way I dealt with them. They, they had their ups and downs. So I wrote this book. And in the book, one of the things that I addressed in professional wrestling was um, stereotypes and racism and, you know, homophobia and things like that. And there were plenty of moments like that where um, they would come out and they would make a comment. I was very politically incorrect back in the day. The things that they said on TV, they can never say on TV now. So part of the book I wrote about it. Fast forward to 2016, Donald Trump runs for president. Donald Trump becomes president. After Donald Trump is the new president of the United States, there is a leak of memos that came out of the White House. And one of the memos was 
about the Trump administration vetting their candidates for the cabinet. So they want to have, you know, Secretary of Interior, and then they go out and they find, you know, what's every bad thing that they, you know, people have said about this that we have to check out? What are the red flags that can become an issue? One of the people that was a member of his cabinet was Linda McMahon, Vince McMahon's wife. And it became wrestling news where people were like, you know, uh, Linda McMahon mentioned in leaked White House memo. And I went online. I'm like, oh, I should read this stupid thing. And now I'll give you an idea of how negative sometimes I am. I went into it thinking I was going to see, you know, all these other writers that I used to write with. And sometimes there would be um, resentment. I had resentment writing about wrestling sometimes because I would find other writers who simply through name recognition of people they worked with. Like there's this one guy, he's like a major, you know, wrestling writer. And anybody that works with him, people kind of put on a pedestal, even if they're not deserving to be there. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to see this guy. I'm going to see these people, people I used to write with. Uh, expecting to see all these names. I went into it cynically. And I start scrolling through the memo. And my book and my name were mentioned twice <laughs> in the leaked White House memo. And I was like, this is insanity. This is crazy. I mean, literally insane. This is insane. And it was um, it was about Steve Austin using a Stone Cold Steve Austin using a, a slur uh, for Middle Easterners on television, which he did. Um, and uh, another wrestler who had been put into a dress and they were yelling homophobic things at him as they beat him up. That was not a a pretty sight. But both of those things were cited. My book was quoted in this White House memo. And I'm like, that is awesome. And that is part of the resume of life. And that's something that now as I'm getting older, I'm trying to do. I want to be one of those people who, you know, one day when I'm no longer here, people turn around and be like, did you know that James did this? You know, like some weird thing. Case in point, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe months ago, yeah, a few weeks ago, I was watching, um, Again, wrestling. I feel like a lot of my life is based around wrestling. And there was a, a wedding storyline on TV. And in the storyline, the the pastor or the preacher, whoever was doing the, the marrying, gets choked out by the crazy groom. The guy's just crazy. And he's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be like humor. If, if you don't watch wrestling, you don't really understand why that's funny. And if you do watch wrestling, you probably still don't understand why it's funny. Uh, Dexter Loomis had choked out the pastor and he's on the ground. And this woman, Beth Phoenix, gets up. She's a Hall of Famer. She's married to Edge. And she goes, luckily, last night I went online and I became an ordained minister. So now I can marry you two. And everyone cheered. And I was like, oh. And I go, you can just do that. You can just go online and just immediately, there's no training process. Guess what? There is no training process. I am an ordained minister. <laughs> I can marry people. I have the certificate on my wall. I laminated it. I had it up resume of life. So now that's another silly, ridiculous thing. Am I going to put that on my resume for work? You know, I'm not going to get writing work. Like, what kind of experience do you have? Like, well, I'm an ordained minister. They're like, I don't know. That doesn't matter. Uh, so that's just for me. It's just a fun little thing to do. And I think it's important to do that. I have a major one on the way, which I'm very excited about. It's going to be a, a few more weeks, but it's, it's happening. So um, knock on wood. I can't wait for this one. But uh, in the meanwhile, it has been this goal of mine to just kind of, I don't know, never leave stones unturned. Anything that I even want to do a little bit, I look into it. How do I do this? What can I do? Um, so it's exciting. So resume of life, for me, that's my sanity. For me, that's something fun that kind of makes me smile. And I think it goes back to, I remember I told you guys, you know, I do weird stuff once in a while. I had somebody tell me once, like, you get really into weird stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do. I don't know. I like it. I think it's uh, it's a cool thing. It's, it's a conversation starter, uh, something I'm proud of, and something that one day when I'm gone, I want my the paragraph explaining my life. You know, and James Gutman was. I don't want it to be like five lines. I want it to be a, a lot of stuff, and I want a lot of it to be random, crazy stuff. They're like, really? Yeah, really. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. You know. So, uh, yeah do that. Go out there and do the things that you want to do. Go out there and do the things that excite you, the things that, you know, don't let anybody tell you not to do it. And I think sometimes we say that statement and we apply it to hard things, you know, we go, don't let anybody tell you you can't do things. And we think that means like, don't let anybody tell you you can't be a doctor or you can't, you know, make a lot of money. And that's true. But also don't let anybody discourage you from just doing stuff. And people will do that. You're like, hey, man, I was thinking about, you know, learning, you know, uh, how to throw axes. You know, I want to be an axe thrower. And somebody would be like, nah, that's stupid. Why would you want to do that? And you'd be like, yeah, it's stupid. And then you don't do it. No. Shut them up, man. Just do it. Go throw an axe at them. Go out there and do your thing. Don't let anybody hold you back from anything, even if it's something that's simple that you just want to do for yourself. Go out there. Do it. Have fun. Build up your resume of life. That's what life's all about. And that does it for me. Guys, thank you for joining me this week. I'll be back next Friday with a brand new edition of High Pod I'm Dad. Where? At HighPodOmDad.com. I'll be back Monday, Wednesday with the blog, HighBlogOmDad.com. Plenty of stuff on the way. Really exciting stuff. 2022, uh, by the end of it, should really be um, just a, a big year, man. This is going to be an exciting, exciting time for all of us. Do me a favor too. If you have any suggestions, any comments, send me over a message. You guys can hit me up on, on Facebook. You can send me uh, right through the contact form on highblogomdad.com. You know, right over. Let me know what you think. Any ideas, any suggestions, anything you want to do. If you want to advertise, send me some money. I will hook it all up. Thank you. Until next time, James Gutman saying, be well. Bye, pot. I'm dad. <laughs>